Hello and welcome to the Blockchain and Us, where pioneers and thought leaders talk about their journey in blockchain technology, crypto assets, and the token economy. And I'm your host, Manuel Staggers. This is a sponsored interview brought to you by CoreLedger. CoreLedger is a blockchain-based peer-to-peer transaction infrastructure provider. It enables businesses to document, tokenize, and trade any type of assets in a reliable and flexible environment. CoreLedger makes anything transactable, literally anything. To learn more about CoreLedger's technology and how you can transform your business onto blockchain, visit coreledger.net. That's C-O-R-E-L-E-D-G-E-R.net. Coreledger.net. My guest today is Johannes Schweifer. Johannes is the co-founder and CEO of CoreLedger, which is building a blockchain-based infrastructure that allows existing and new businesses to run on blockchains. He is the co-founder of Bitcoin Swiss and a Bitcoin and blockchain pioneer with more than 15 years of experience as a project manager and software architect for enterprises in the IT and financial sector. Johannes holds a master's in chemistry and a PhD in distributed computing and quantum chemistry from the University of Vienna. And now to the conversation with Johannes Schweifer. Hi Johannes and many thanks for taking time today. Hey Manuel, greetings. Johannes, let's jump right in with what CoreLedger does. CoreLedger is providing a token economy operating system and that might sound a bit bulky, but what we are doing can be explained as such. At the moment, a lot of things are tried to be tokenized, but even though tokens exist, you will observe that um, you can't directly send physical objects to somebody. So if you create a token for a physical object, you still have to somehow refer to the physical object, describe the physical object, because yet we don't have any Star Trek technology or something like this, so that we can beam objects around if tokens of those have been purchased. So in short, um, we came from the angle of how to describe objects properly so that people know what they are going to buy. Imagine what happened during the time of those crazy ICOs. It was a real frenzy and everybody created tokens like crazy. But people who purchased those tokens never had an idea what they really purchased. I mean, you had a white paper, you had maybe some lines on a website, but what was it? So we said, what people who buy tokens need in the first place is a proper description what the token is. So what college does is providing the means to describe tokens properly, searchable. So we provide a database for all tokens created on the college infrastructure so that you can, this database can be searched and you know exactly what you have. That's one thing. The other thing is rather old. The concept came from the time when I was still involved with Bitcoin Swiss, when we had the problem that it was very easy to send bitcoins and other tokens around, but it was super hard to funnel money from one point to the other point. So we thought about why not tokenizing Swiss francs, US dollars, British pounds, whatever. So fiat money. If fiat money could be sent 
in the same simple and easy way as bitcoins could, then trading would be very simple, right? But there's a problem because Bitcoin doesn't have a counterparty. Bitcoin exists on the blockchain. So if you hold Bitcoins, you have a private key, it's your Bitcoins, you send them around. There is no counterparty guaranteeing you the value. If you do the same with Swiss francs or US dollars, then there is normally some counterparty who has to guarantee the physical asset, right? So either a bank or yes, a bank or yes, me maybe. Johannes, Swiss francs somewhere in, in, in a safe, in a treasure. So you need a guarantor, somebody who gives you the real physical asset when you come and redeem your token. So in short, there will not be only one issuer of Swiss francs. There will be not only one issuer of US dollars, unless, of course, the Fed joins such a system, which it Definitely will not, right? <laughs> or the Swiss National Bank joins the system. And yes, I think I can be pretty confident when I say they will not, <laughs> not so fast. So in short, there will be many Swiss francs existing in parallel in a tokenized fashion, many British pounds, many US dollars. And how to trade them, how to convert them. And the biggest problem actually when converting things is that you normally only have bilateral offers. So I give you A and you give me B. And if A is Bitcoin and B is Swiss franc, but a special Swiss franc, I might have a Swiss franc, a different one, but it's not what you want in trade, right? So let's call it C. Collager solves the problem of convertibility of tokens or interconvertibility of tokens within a certain asset type, but from one asset to another asset. So let's treat B and C as Swiss francs and A Bitcoin. Somebody has A, I have B and the third party has C. So A to B does not work, but A to C works. And there's another party who trades B to C. So what I can do is trade B to C, C to A, and that works. That's a multilateral trade. We call that a warp. We couldn't brand name it because somebody else already <laughs> brand marked it. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, we still call it a warp because it's very science fictional more or less, and it works. So the important thing is such a trade must be atomic. And atomic meaning? An atomic trade is a, or an atomic transaction involving many partners is one where either the entire transaction succeeds or it fails in its entirety. So it's not possible that you that only half of the chain is, is performed and committed and the rest just ignored. So imagine you want to trade your gold into Swiss francs and the chain contains hmm, fish and oil and whatever. <laughs> and then it's non-atomic, so it gets stuck at fish. So you don't get Swiss francs, you get fish. Yeah. So that there is no uncertainty whether uh, the trade sequence is fulfilled in its completeness, in its entirety or not. So Coalature is mostly about providing the tools for tokenization of uh, uh, documentation of, of assets, of, of course, doing these or performing the tokenization. So really... Um, creating tokens, issuing them, and um, about 
settling such multilateral trade sequences. Mm -hmm. This is what CoreLedger does. And this is why we call it a token economy operating system, because for the customer, it is like plug and play mostly. So businesses think about using the blockchain at the moment. And using the blockchain is mostly about tokenizing things, but how, how to conveniently do it. And this is what College does. We provide the tools for that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mainly you were focusing with your explanation in on currencies. But I think your tagline is make anything transactable. So even, you know, any other physical asset. So, you know, let's say I have something like a wine collection or something like this, and if I wouldn't like to make that transactable. Could I do this with, with your solution as well? Depends what right you want to waste into the token. So if the token is a claim on the wine in your basement, then of course it would work. So you would, you would need in addition some kind of proof um, that the wine really exists. And we also provide tools for doing that because that's the biggest, the most critical thing, right? You could always claim, oh, I have a million Swiss francs in cash in my trezor. I have hundreds, no, thousands of bottles of good red wine. Which one do you drink, by the way? I, I don't drink any wine. You don't drink any wine? <laughs> no. Okay, let us assume. But um, wine's a good example because wine <laughs> is so easy to, to you know, because there's many problems with wine, right? How do you know it is the wine that is really so valuable? How do you know it still exists? And how do you know somebody didn't drink the expensive wine and just re refilled it with grape juice or something like that, right? You know, tokenize everything or anything has been kind of a buzzword, I think, for a while. And all of these projects always have the same challenge, I feel. How to close the gap between the physical asset that exists somewhere that somebody has, you know, in his pocket or the basement or whatever, and the digital world on a blockchain, something like Bitcoin that works really well. How, how do you close the gap between those two? So, so how do you deal with this challenge? Most assets in Coalitzer are custodial assets. So somebody has the physical asset and it can be anything. It could even be a Bitcoin, which is on a trezor for which you create a token. And then the token is the claim to the real Bitcoin on the trezor. Same for wine, doesn't change. What you need to close the gap between a token and the trust in the token so that the real asset is really here is in Corlegia terms, just another line in the description. So we already have all means necessary to verify if something is there or not. And that is called an auditor, right? Mm -hmm. So an auditor could drop a line, sign it with his private key and say, yes, I witnessed that at the end of 2018, all those thousand bottles of good red wine are still in the basement. And that is added as an amendment to the documentation. So if I hold a token, which uh, grants me a claim to a bottle of that wine, uh, I would see that amendment, that update and be relieved. So hooah, good, the wine is still there. Excellent. I only have to trust the auditor. So again, we have a third party, which is super funny, right? So we wanted to avoid third parties and get rid of them. And now we reintroduce them back into the concept. But now we have a choice. And this is the important thing. Blockchain gives us the choice. We could take 
the one auditor or the other auditor, we are not limited to the ones which are just there by monopoly. And that's the advantage. So if people maybe laugh and say, ha ha, <laughs> you still need those third parties. I say exactly that. We need a third party, but it's our choice which third party. And that's the point. So to close the gap between physical items and um, the trust in the custodial asset in the token is mostly overcome by an auditor who says, yes, I witness it's there. It's the same as any audit for assets, company balances, and so forth. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we try to stick to existing processes. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's a good point, and I think you explained it well there. With uh, you know what what some of the maybe the misconceptions are you know that people have about tokenizing anything, because I think many people believe oh it's totally hands off then you know it will just be a blockchain asset that is you know, 100% fungible and easily transacted without trust in anyone other than a blockchain. That's, that's absolutely tr true, yes. There are some misunderstandings, misconceptions, especially when it comes to assuming that the before-mentioned uh, Star Trek technology might exist, like I tokenize and then everything else, every other problem vanishes. And the blockchain does not solve the problem same as a hammer as a tool does not really solve all problems i mean yes i agree there are people who just think oh no i have a hammer i can solve all problems yeah but nonetheless um they are wrong so um the blockchain is just a tool and it's us and i mean us in the sense of us users consumers producers of things and solutions to apply that tool properly so that it can really bring some value It was abused with these ICOs, in my opinion, largely, because it was mostly used as a tool for fundraising. And a lot of these projects basically um, were already, I mean, it was visible from the beginning that uh, they would not yield anything, uh, wouldn't be any, any outcome other than, oh, now we burned the money. <laughs> Great. It's like when I say the purpose of my life is to produce um, carbon dioxide out of oxygen and uh, delicious food. So um, that's not the case. <laughs> so the same with the ICOs. I mean, they were meant to produce something, right? And they produced tokens and the white paper. <laughs> so what are some of these assets, you know, some examples of assets that you're currently tokenizing? The funny thing, we always cycle around precious metals. And of course, precious metals are one of the cornerstones of tokenized assets, which is clear because people need some, some, let's say, counterparty value, something which they can trust in. Um, but nonetheless, we also um, have concepts on the table which are about tokenizing um, normally indivisible things like pictures, even cars, houses, um, hotels in a special. Uh, there's a lot of value which is mostly um, illiquid, which could be liquefied in a sense um, by tokenizing. And then um, commodities, raw materials, um, a lot of investment is going on there. Um, copper is one example. So people... Okay, not people, it's organizations and uh, companies, put raw materials, commodities into warehouses waiting for the value to, to rise. But then how do you sell those metals? Um, you can sell them through contracts, yes, but then you're not 
personally holding stuff. Um, you're working through futures exchanges, commodity exchanges, but I'm talking about real physically storing them somewhere in a warehouse. Selling them, trading them means taking them in your custody and then um, giving them physical to some, physically to somebody else. But uh, if you have a token, it's just a transfer of ownership. And that works without any physical barriers. So commodities, raw materials are some good examples. Then um, this is the topic of custodial assets. There is another topic, which is um, when you have assets which are in, 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 in digital form all the time. So the digital asset itself is, for example, an audio record, a video record, whatever. And, and this is what Ambitorio is doing. They are using Coiliger to create tokens which grant you the right to use or listen to the audio file, to view the video file, and above all, um, to, for example, use the 3D printing matrix for a 3D printer. And that's funny because um, which with such digital assets, you normally are interested in the output. So um, the output is you hear music, you see a, you see a movie, and um, the 3D printer prints some nice 3D model of something. And you want the output. Of course, you would... You wouldn't say no if you get the raw the raw data, but you don't explicitly need the raw data. So, Ambitoria is building an infrastructure to use a token to give you not you but actually the hardware a temporary access to the to the raw data, which is encrypted and so forth. So, technically, um, a loop is closed there um, to grant you access to the product itself. And this is kind of abstract form of using a token. So it's a token on a digital asset, which is never revealed, not to the end customer. So as a token holder, you only get the right to use the data. You can do this with documents and other things. And that's also funny. Um, yes, but mostly the use cases are focused at the moment on, on, on things we already knew before that they would be interesting for tokenization. Um, I have, of course, a lot of other concepts in mind, which um, I will realize one by one after the first use cases are, are implemented and running smoothly. And just then we will see where we go from there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just curious, what kind of blockchain are you using for Core Ledger? We started in, in 2016. Actually, uh, it, the project originated from the end of 2015. And in 16, we had no other blockchain available than Ethereum. But already back then, we knew that Ethereum might not be around us for all the time. Furthermore, it became already apparent that um, there are bottlenecks. Mm -hmm. So Ethereum is the best blockchain in terms of um, well reliability and safety because of a high hash rate and so forth. But nonetheless, it's expensive and it's slow and it's not scalable. So we built the concept in such a way that it can be migrated to other blockchains. So back then we thought we start with Ethereum and then migrate to other chains. And... Um, Already at the end of 17, we thought, why migrate? Why not run them in parallel? So we 
start with Ethereum, actually not the Ethereum mainnet, but with a POA net, proof of authority net, which is much faster and has a higher transaction transaction throughput. And it's much, much less expensive. Actually, it doesn't cost the user anything because we use it for, um, for a game and a user would not like to pay for a transaction for a game. That's just stupid. Unless, of course, it's CryptoKitties, right? And... Uh, then uh, we um, switch on one by one other blockchains which are suitable and not too far away from from ethereum so the first one um, will be Aerom. we already signed an, a partner agreement with Aerom. so Aerom will be the next blockchain on which collager is running mm -hmm. johannes you just mentioned the cost um, of of certain blockchains what is the cost of making a physical asset transactable You mean end-to-end? -end? Mm -hmm. I think the most costly part is your time to describe uh, the asset properly because we realized doing this really, really properly, I mean, in a way that it can be found, it can be trusted, is just some effort, effort like, um, well, writing a prospectus. Um, we charge a very low fee for the asset creation And um, the offering itself, so when you want to trade those assets, those tokens, then um, there is a charge on each offer creation. We, we have to do this simply also due to spam protection, to be honest, um, because the more offers, the harder it is to find matching trade sequences. So it's a question of computer power and a couple of hundred of Swiss francs. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Couple of hundred of Swiss francs to tokenize my wine collection. For example, yes. And I'm not talking about the costs which you might have with your auditor mm -hmm. <laughs> who guarantees that your wine collection is still there and that the bottles do not just contain some juice or something. Right. <laughs> or red water. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, you just, I mean, we just breached it a little bit here with the auditor and those external costs. And I believe many blockchain projects that aren't cryptocurrencies often forget about the legal and regulatory aspects or, or not forget, but they think about them too late or they think it somehow doesn't apply to them. So I wanted to ask how important is legal in, in your project? Actually, very. It's uh, one of the cornerstones. People try or people sometimes compare the, the blockchain era now to the internet era in 2000. And it's not really comparable because the technology back then was not really of any concern for regulators, financial authorities. Basically, financial authorities and the state, they always want to keep the upper hand on things which happen. And the internet was no threat. But blockchain is because blockchain can be used as a financial tool doesn't have to be so it can be used for anything else but it can also be used to run financial products and this is a problem because it's not exclusively used for financial products it's a mixture and we see that also with regulators also with finma uh, which takes 14 months to review a paper and give green light or not it's not easy 
which does not excuse, of course, that they need 14 months. It's still too long, but nonetheless, um, it's not too easy. Think about, for example, with the, uh, think about the issue with uh, VAT. There was a long discussion in many countries, not only in Switzerland. Okay, in Switzerland was brief, but uh, in, in, in the UK, for example, do you charge VAT on Bitcoin mining or not? Because if it's a commodity or something like this, yes, then it's VAT. Mm. But if it's money, what are the Bitcoin miners doing? Are they are coining money. So are they forging? No, they are allowed to. So issuing private money is normally not really allowed in many countries. So what about Bitcoin money? Uh, Bitcoin. So what about Bitcoins and Bitcoin mining? That's difficult. And there are still no really good solutions, no binding uh, regulations everywhere. Some countries found it easy, Switzerland, for example. Luckily, there is the VIR, so the VIR solved a lot of problems. Nonetheless, um, and the VIR is this, is this private currency private by, currency issued by bank. Exactly, yeah. exactly. In Switzerland. Yes, uh, I also learned about it, not in connection with Bitcoin, but a little bit earlier, but nevertheless, so VIA was often mentioned when it, uh, when the topic was about Bitcoin. So, um, Switzerland had it easier and, uh, that's the reason why it really didn't need to pass any explicit laws. And, uh, um, Bundesrat Maurer said in, when was that? In December, um, And that Switzerland does not want to create any special laws for blockchain. So what they want to do is to put things in existing laws or to apply existing laws and regulation, not create additional ones. That's fine. That also has its drawbacks because Bitcoin and blockchain in general, they are very specific. So coming back to your question. So what, what focus does legal and regulation have? It should have a big one. So also in our case, uh, it was extremely important to get regulatory certainty um, as quickly as possible. And also there, it's no white or black. So it's a question how you apply the tool, how you apply core ledger. It's just an episode uh, or an anecdote. A um, couple of weeks ago, I was asked by, um, uh, by a potential customer, um, is it possible to, um, to bypass sanctions with blockchain? And I said, well, technically yes, but even if you do it according to the law. So even if there is no law at the moment to bypass sanctions with some tools on the blockchain, then you can be absolutely sure that those who put those sanctions in place will see it and will say, wait, we have to adjust the text so that it also fits into that scope and covers it. So it even doesn't help if uh, existing laws and regulations are used or if let's say loopholes in those existing reg regulations and laws are used because loopholes will be closed. So a project should be really sound. Um, and what also helps is to build projects as close as possible to already existing processes. So in the sense of Bundesrat Maurer, um, to try to stick to existing processes where it fits, it doesn't fit everywhere. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, and your company is in Switzerland and Liechtenstein, I believe, right? Yes. So how, how important is, is that 
for you? I mean, is, does that make it easier for you to be in these, you know, blockchain hubs or, you know, more forward-thinking jurisdictions? Liechtenstein and Switzerland are, in my opinion, the best jurisdictions to run blockchain projects. We founded Corledger in Liechtenstein simply because there it is much easier to get access to the regulator, to talk to the regulator. You can even talk to them in person. It's not like, yeah, submit the paper and... Um, you just invite them for lunch. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. But uh, in Switzerland, it's totally different. Nevertheless, Switzerland is an important market and um, most of our employees are here in Switzerland. So we also founded Quadrature Labs, which is the the company uh, which develops all our software. So every single component is developed by Coreledger Labs for Coreledger AG in Liechtenstein. Yes, it's important to be here. Uh, a lot of things are happening here. I think um, an, not an insignificant part of worldwide block blockchain startups are here in Switzerland, mm. which is funny. I mean, this is Well, almost every big project has, has an office here, I think. And especially in Zug, right? Mm. <laughs> Most of them are post boxes, but nevertheless. Yeah. You've, you've been in, in this crypto and blockchain space for, for how long? How many years? Since 2011. Okay. How did you originally get into in touch with, with this technology? By accident. Uh, I am a big fan of science fiction, so I have read many, many science fiction novels. And um, one of such a science fiction series is um, uh, Shadowrun. And uh, Shadowrun, people, sorry, in Shadowrun uh, novels, people use crates and crate sticks to pay for stuff. So I think there is even no cash anymore. It's just those crates and crate sticks. And I always thought, the heck, how should that work? I mean, it was just science fiction, right? So they don't need to give an explanation and they couldn't back then. And I thought, how would that work? You can always copy digital stuff. You have those creds on a cred stick, even if they are encrypted, you can break the encryption and just copy it. So you have one million, one billion, doesn't matter. You can have as many as you want. And uh, then uh, an employee of mine introduced me to, to Bitcoin just accidentally, as I said, um, we were talking about precious metals before. And then he said, oh, have you heard about Bitcoin? And I have not even, I misunderstood it. I thought, Bit what? Doesn't matter. Then I looked it up, found the white paper of Satoshi, read it and thought, the heck, this is it. This is the <laughs> solution for this copy problem. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. This episode has support from Core Ledger. CoreLedger is a blockchain-based peer-to-peer transaction infrastructure provider. It enables businesses to document, tokenize, and trade any type of assets in a reliable and flexible environment. CoreLedger makes anything transactable, literally anything. With CoreLedger's highly dependable, fast-to-implement products, businesses can reduce costs and improve processes. Individuals can benefit from the full ownership of their own assets and make transactions directly with another party. To learn more about CoreLedger's technology and how you can transform your business onto blockchain, visit coreledger.net. That's C-O-R-E-L-E-D-G-E-R.net. coreledger.net. 
And and I think that's what's happening today, oftentimes with blockchain technology. You know, people who are excited about it want to explain what it is. You know, imagine there's no middleman and there's you know these tamper-proof blocks, and most people just couldn't care less. I believe. Yeah, that's true. Especially, especially, somebody recently asked me. What does the blockchain provide as an advantage? What normal tools which already existed do not? And it's always difficult to answer such questions because they normally come from people who really do not see the difference. So it's like telling, okay, that's maybe mean, telling a blind about the light and you can describe it. Let's say maybe telling somebody who is colorblind um, what red and green looks like. Mm, you can just describe it, but it's hard to feel it. Um, but the point is, blockchain gave just the opportunity of freedom from intermediaries. The opportunity, people have to take that opportunity. Um, if you ask people if they really want to take the opportunity, which means being responsible for their own assets, being responsible if they are lost, if their wallet is hacked or not, they would say, oh, wait, wait, wait a second. This we have not discussed, right? <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, we had a customer here. Um, we talked about um, tokenizing um, real estate and uh, it was about really huge sums, so hundreds of millions. And um, quickly we we went into the topic of custodial forms of, I mean, um, custodians for the tokens, custodians for the private keys, which is you have a custodian for the, for the real asset, right? And then you need a custodian or some third parties um, to make sure that transactions for the tokens really work, really happen and are safe. So we have another interface which is introduced because I said, What I do not believe is that any of his customers would actually sign away 100 million with just a click. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't right. believe that people make a click and then money is gone. So mm. people still want some third parties um, to take care of the assets. But again, what I said before, now you have the choice. The choice which third party you choose. It is not the monopolist who just has a permit from the state and he's the only one or there are like 100, but it's only them. You can choose. You can give it even to your grandma if you trust her and it's it's your choice. And it's about the technical tools and the maturity, uh, whether this is an easy task or not. So still today, a lot of tools are super hard to understand, to use. I mean, just think about um, Ethereum. So a lot is happening or a, a, a lot of people um, just can't use it because you have the command line, the Geth interface, who operates that? I mean, I do, yes, but <laughs> I have the soul of a developer, right? Or the Mist browser who really earns its name in German. So, I mean, it's okay as a generic interface, but it's uh, it has its shortcomings. So the average, the true average, will have problems using that. So either there is a dedicated app and he can use exactly the app for a single business case or he normally can't. So it's even hard to understand for the average user and then hard to use for the average user. And then tell this guy, yep, and now with these tools, you are now responsible for your own assets and it could be in the millions. 
Wait a second. Yeah. This is why we built college. So to make it easier, easier to use already from the start, where it all starts. And this is tokenization, how to do it without having to use command line tools and so forth. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. What kind of impacts do you see of, you know, a world where everything's tokenized, easily tradable on blockchains? What kind of impacts would that have on economies and societies? Um, first of all, a lot of things will stay the same as they, they, they stayed all the time because uh, the majority of people will simply refuse to do what I just said, to take responsibility of their own assets. Um, I keep saying blockchain is successful when people do not really know that they are using blockchain. Mm-hmm. For example, we introduce a game BD300 for the 300 years anniversary of Liechtenstein. And of course, we advertise that it runs on blockchain. This even has some shortcomings. It's a little bit slower than you would expect from a normal game. So that's the reason why we mention it. But it's a game. So it just works. You can do now um, banking on blockchain, more or less. A lot of companies offer that. And also with Coalature, you can do transactions, you can trade. You wouldn't care less whether it's blockchain or not. It's just like um, a label which is stuck on the product. If you trust that label that there is blockchain inside and it runs on blockchain or not, it's your choice. So the change will, in my opinion, be things run more decentralized, but there will still be big players who operate networks, who are maybe the miners. I mean... It doesn't always have a public blockchain. I have to be a public blockchain, right? Could be a private blockchain. Or Hyperledger is private. So, I mean, it's open source, but it's private. So companies which apply Hyperledger for their projects, they run a private blockchain. So you don't have direct access. You just use their product. And in that sense, not much will happen immediately. Uh, Banks will still exist, exchanges will exist, they just use those tools. Banks will exist for the reason I mentioned, because people want to trust rather the bank to keep the assets safe than themselves. So, yeah, uh, the immediate impact, I wouldn't see one. In the long run, maybe a simplification of, um, of processes, um, maybe more transparency, I hope so, because it at least allows unless, of course, it's a private blockchain, but uh, a blockchain at least allows to look into it, to check the accounts. Um, maybe we could avoid such a disaster like 2008 and yet to come again, but that's on another on another page. So um, the significant immediate impact will not be burning banks. The significant immediate impact will be um, streamlining of existing program processes and making things more reliable, more secure and decentralized. And, and more choice, like you mentioned. And more choice, right. You mentioned that you're, that you're programming a game and you're launching a game. So how, how does that fit into, into the core ledger strategy? It's the perfect demo use case because the game BD300 is about collectible cards from the history of Liechtenstein. So I only once in my life as a kid played, under quotes, such a game, which is 
filling an album with cards with stickers which you can buy from bakeries like soccer stickers or yeah, something. exactly yeah like yeah this, like this yes um, the world cup and then you collect all the the teams or something like this right, right. Yeah. exactly like mm -hmm. this but um in this context um bd300 the uh, lichtenstein in history and what you normally do when you want to fill your album is you want to get rid of the the cards which you have more than one time and get those which you are still missing you can do this by purchasing pack after pack but you don't do this right uh, you want to trade and what did we do as kids we just sat together two three four kids trading okay i give you card a and you give me card b and then what did we do when i already um when I already had card B, I said, no, card B I don't need. I need C. See where we are going? This is exactly what Core does. So it allows to create a really super huge community. I mean, huge depends on how many people are playing the game, but nonetheless, uh, huger and larger than um, just two, three or four people sitting together who can trade their cards. They don't need to know each other. The trust is established by the process which runs in the blockchain. And such transactions, they run atomic with cards. And you can replace the cards later with assets like copper, Swiss francs, bananas, coffee, doesn't matter. A turns into B, turns into C, and we close the cycle. And there could be, in addition, D and E and F. You can trade two times A and B against C and so forth. This is what we do with cards and this is what we can do in the future with any kind of asset. And that's the reason why we invested a lot of money in that game, but uh, we believe that this game will run as a as a real-life showcase how Quadrature will work in the future. As I said, replace the cards with real-life assets and you have exactly the same. Mm -hmm. For what kind of assets does tokenization not work? I mean, you know, what what could one not make transactable? You always need some form of abstraction. And uh, where you don't have the abstraction, it's hard. For example, if you tokenize physical app, uh, physical assets, physical objects, and those physical objects do not stay at the same place. In other words, if you want to tokenize the watch you're wearing, then it's a bit difficult because what happens to the watch? I mean, you wear it, you lose it. Oh, this is bad. So it's not really a trustworthy store of value. You could, of course, but um, I think it's not applicable for that. The blockchain could be used, but we are not talking about tokenization. Um, birth certificates, for example. That's also a potential use for blockchain, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a token. You could use a token to unlock some documents, as I explained before with Ambitorio's technology, but um, not tokenizing it as such, because I don't want to give away my birth certificate, right? It's mine. So that is not tokenizable. But in general, there are no real limits. I mean, we have been talking about use cases with water. Hmm, okay, um, what does that mean? I mean, it's not about a store of water. If we are talking about 
having the right to obtain something, then it's kind of a future which is tokenized. That even that also works. Hmm. What I mean, as an entrepreneur and CEO of a blockchain company, what what are you currently in the process of learning? <laughs> so many different things. Um, that the ecosystem or the, the let's say that's the environment of um, of blockchain and our economic environment uh, is constantly changing and at a very very fast pace. Um, if you worked with the internet in its beginnings in 2000, pace was not as fast as we observe now in the blockchain industry because every other week somebody announces a new product and you always have to think about, hmm, is that a potential partner? Is that a potential competitor? Is that just talk or is that really something behind? And um, it's a challenge you come to a point where you say, mm, we just switch off all news, complete our stuff, go to the market and then look where we are. Um, you can't do that. So it is a constant challenge to really um, keep yourself up to date with uh, new um, changes, with new environments, having an eye for better both on the regulator and what happens there. So it's totally different to a situation where you could just retreat to your, to your living room with a laptop, code something. A couple of months later, you say, Eureka, I have it. And then you release a product that's just not possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you have any other entrepreneurs or, or maybe role models more in general that uh, inspire you? Honestly, I never, never had, um, never thought it would be necessary to do that. So no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, everybody who was reported or was said to have worked a lot could be my potential role model because really I have weeks, which are 80 hours. Uh, two weeks ago, I think I reached, I breached 100 hours, which was really a lot. Mm, wow. um, I'm just working a lot and it, yeah. it, it's fun. So... I'm not the kind of guy who um, makes vacation for quite long. That doesn't work anyway, because after six days, I get nervous, like, I have to get back <laughs> to work. Right. I don't know if this is a good sign or a bad sign, but I love working, so yes. it's fine. Yeah, I, I know the feeling. I also sometimes wonder if it's so good or maybe not so good. Um, did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Honestly, yes. Yes, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't really have an idea what it would be. So, uh, like, yeah, I don't know when people envision, hmm, I want to be, I want to run a bakery or I want to run a cafe or whatever. I didn't know anything about that. I just wanted to be an entrepreneur, but, um, for very, very long time, I was just an employee having my own freedom, of course, which is very important for me. Um, but nonetheless, uh, there was no project in sight, apart from a lot of other private projects. I mean, I still have and follow up on them, but uh, nothing which um, would look as prosperous as um, blockchain did and became, became for me. So I heard about it. I heard about Bitcoin. I took my chance and that was it. So... If you're good at something and if you like doing what you are doing, 
And if you finally found that thing, what you like doing, then you have a chance to succeed. It's not a guarantee, but you have a chance. Um, Johannes, you have a big background in chemistry. You have a master in chemistry and also a PhD in distributed computing and quantum chemistry. Now, chemistry, I mean, on first sight, it doesn't have to do that much with cryptocurrency and and um, and with blockchains, but does that background help you in any way? Actually, yes. A lot of people ask me, what does a chemist have to do with blockchain? How, do you, how did you end up here? And the truth is i was also i was always attracted by challenges really i loved challenges and chemistry i liked already at school but i liked everything okay except for math at the beginning now i like math but chemistry was one among many things and somebody said chemistry oh that's a hard hard study and I said, oh okay <laughs> i studied it's hard the harder the better right so um That was chemistry, but I knew I wouldn't want to work uh, as a chemist. So the next best thing was after having spent many years in the laboratory to pick a job, which is about doing and interacting with people. So consulting was the next best step. And from consulting, many paths lead to where I am now. And it's mostly much is about ex uh, just accidental circumstances. So meeting the right people and so forth. But my background as a chemist still helps because it's um, it's a discipline of science where you need research and also some discipline in solving problems. And I like solving problems. <laughs> the harder, the better. And you need some systematic approach to solving problems. And what I did back then when researching stuff, how to synthesize a certain chemi chemical compound or... Also, while doing my PhD, how to how to create actually that distributed computing environment, which I did, um, that these approaches, these solutions, these these patterns, I still apply. So yes, it still helps. So studying chemistry, physics, physics, mathematics will definitely help. <laughs> Johannes, what's on the horizon for you in the coming years? So we launch in March. And, uh, or rather at the end of March, uh, with our first product, which is a game, PD300, as I mentioned. And, um, in summer, we go live with the, the entire system. And, well, then operationalization, right? So, um, bringing projects online one by one and, um, running blockchains in parallel, big task and Well, keeping up a good pace. So what's on the horizon? We already started a lot of projects internally, um, which needs their own preparation time. So they will go live much, much longer after we go live with CoreLedger. But nonetheless, um, we are not running out of tasks and it's definitely not getting boring. So, yes. Johannes, this was great. I really enjoyed the conversation and many thanks for taking time. Thank you very much, Manuel. I also enjoyed it very much. Thanks so much for joining us today. More info on our guests and our sponsors is in the show notes of this episode and on the podcast website, theblockchainandus.com. To 
help people find this podcast, it's important that you download, subscribe, and give it a top rating and review on iTunes or on the podcast platform of your choice. I'm Manuel Staggers, and I thank you very much for listening.